Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Stolen Signs from Baseball Prospectus. I'm here with Harry Pavlidis. Hello, Harry. Hello, and you are Kendall Clement. You didn't say your name. Oh, shoot. I didn't have that written down. Such a professional. (laughs) If I don't write it down, I forget it. That's right. Welcome to Lucky 13. See who's number 13 tripped you up. You're true. I know, but that's kind of a lucky number for me, actually. It's, uh, I would consider that if if I had a lucky number, it would be thirteen. So it's a lucky number in Latin America, I believe. Yeah, that's why a lot. Of, uh, thirteen is a popular. It was the. Uh, it was probably some like Aparicio or somebody. Alex Rodriguez was thirteen for the Yankees. Yeah, and so oh, cash oh, 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 I want to circle back. I gave bad information about you, Darvish's number. He is not. Number I know 11. you did. Yes. So, I noticed that like the next day he I gave know. up. He was twenty with the Rangers. He was yes. What yes. was it? Seventeen was what was the number? I think he, he's he twenty-one the... on the Dodgers. Yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, so yeah. we'll circle back yes. to you, Darvish, or maybe he'll have a new number by then. We'll uh, anyway, that episode. Just, uh, yeah, just delete just it. Do a subtle voiceover. Seventeen. Um, yeah, so we're gathered. Uh, so okay, so like a couple weeks ago, Bill James wrote a thing. I've heard about that. Uh, yeah, Bill is like often pushed the field forward, but for a, a, a little bit, I think he decided to write something that kind of took everybody looking backwards, I felt. So uh, it was interesting. He, he had some interesting things to say about, about MVP voting, but it was really, and he, and there was some discussion that it was really just about the, the war in that context, but he clearly had other issues with war in general. And I thought it was kind of strange from a sabermetric point of view so yes. instead of like rehashing that and stuff you know what we decided to gather up people who do war the <laughs> warlords the maintainers of war uh from from baseball reference sean foreman from Fangraphs, dave cameron from baseball prospectus would be rob McEwen, uh and uh for the open war guys that who's a and Barr, Peter Jensen, and Greg Matthews, friend of the show, joins us as well, along with Jonathan Judge, who also works with us on war-related issues, uh, to talk about what some of the differences between our systems, but also talk about some of the things that we might be doing in the future. And I think it was the conversation um, that everybody's going to get to listen to now. Is I think the first that I know of where all these people were together at the same time yeah, talking about this stuff. So it, being it was kind of cool. It being episode 13, I would say that we were lucky to have them. We were, yeah. I mean, and it was really just, I think, long overdue. Yeah, I thought it was very cool. Uh, kind of a um, a summit, if you will, of mm-hmm. different yeah. folks. Just kind of, um, like you said, like just talking about war and um, the different things about it. And I thought that there was a lot of good discussion and questions back and forth. And I, I think that uh, hopefully everybody will really enjoy it. And I think the best part is that there's there are differences. There's going to continue to be differences, and that there there's healthy good reasons for that. And I think that's actually beneficial to the community. So, so we're going to take a quick break, and then we will um, jump right into that discussion. Um, but if you want to reach out to us, we are on Twitter, stolen underscore signs. We also have an email address. It is stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectives.com. Um, and we are on iTunes and various other podcast thingies like the Google play store and tune in and stitcher and 
all the things that people do these days. Um, but that, that boom box that your weird neighbor carries around. We're totally. on that too. Uh, yes, hopefully we're on that. Um, but rate and review <laughs> us and um, yeah, get in touch. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And um, we will be back to talk with all of these folks about war. All right, welcome back. And today we have a discussion um, with various um, keepers of war. We've got Sean Foreman from Baseball Reference, Dave Cameron from Fangraphs, Rob McEwen from Baseball Prospectus, Greg Matthews, who works on the Open War Project, along with uh, Jonathan Judge, who is um, uh, with us on the stats team at Baseball Prospectus. So we hope you enjoy our discussion on wins above replacement. Okay, so Sean, um, we want to talk about replacement levels and um, their role kind of as we, as we talk about wins above replacement. What is a replacement level? What does that mean? And um, maybe we can also then jump into some of the differences and um, how we get to what replacement level is. So Sean, can you talk to that a little bit? Um, uh, sure. You know, just, uh, just speaking generally, I mean, the idea is that, you know, it's the, it's the easily findable player that, that, uh, you know, if Mike Trout gets injured, it's who the angels can easily grab, um, from AAA or, or available, easily readily available for a very low cost trade, uh, something like that. So, you know, I think it's still probably something of an open question as to how to do that. I know within our system, uh, things, you know, Sean Smith, who created, created, you know, kind of the backbone of our system, uh, and, uh, and kind of gave us the constants that started, uh, what we use at baseball reference. Um, you know, he developed those numbers, looked at, uh, you know, we actually account for league strength or tried to, uh, and that's actually kind of one of the areas where I wanted to, uh, to, you know, come up with a little more theoretical underpinnings for, for how we compute those numbers and how we look at league strength and things like that. But just, you know, right now, the way we look at it is there are essentially we set replacement levels. So there's a, uh, a thousand more uh, across the entire league, uh, which I think I should have looked this up, but I, th- I believe it corresponds to about a 48 win team uh, is so team of replacement players on our, on our measure. And I think fan graphs, we, kind of had a, a meeting of the minds and at a Sabre analytics conference and, and, and hashed out that, you know, a thousand wins, uh, is a, is a good number, a reasonable number of a place to set, set replacement levels. So, you know, it's one of those things that really, if you're making an MVP argument, it really doesn't matter because both players presumably are full-time players, you know, so they're both going to get the same amount of replacement, uh, runs, runs above replacement. Um, they're going to have the same number of replacement runs added to their totals, uh, it makes more of a difference if you're looking at, you know, like careers, guys with different lengths of careers. So, you know, that's where we're at, where we're at right now. Um, and uh, we kind of just roll those numbers over from one year to the next. But, but that, that's kind of an open question, something that, you know, when the time presents itself, we, you know, we'll probably get around to taking a little harder look at that. I think the, the, big, the big theoretical question that people bring up, and as are actually prominent analysts who argue against replacement level, 
It's like, why are we just doing wins above average? So I think that's really a very important thing we should probably feature as well. Right. I I mean, I think that the main argument there is that, uh, you know, average players in the major leagues, it's they're free agents. They don't get paid zero dollars. They don't get paid the league minimum. They, they're, they're making, you know, many millions of dollars. Uh, and so an average player has value. So pegging them to zero uh, is something of a misnomer because, you know, a guy who doesn't play, who comes up and plays five games and hits 250 is going to be, have zero, zero wins above it, above average as well. So it's a way of, 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 of quantifying somebody who can come into the league and play at an average level uh, and showing that they actually do have value, which kind of, which, which corresponds to the financial aspects and the financial realities of, of how major league baseball values these players. So and there, also, there, there is the know, theoretical you, basis that I mean, I mean, it may not be as right. tightly coupled I, I to the that. actual calculations, but right. mean, the, the whole idea is that basing on average is, is, is right. I mean, that's, and, but, that's, like it sounds said, good, if, but it's not good. That's if, if, if you want to, if you want, you know, if you, if, you're looking at uh, MVP voting or Cy Young voting, and, and you just want to, uh, you know, want to use wins above average. That's completely fine because, like I said, you know, those players are all full season players for the most part. This year, you know, Trout probably got dinged, you know, uh, like something like you know three, or five, six runs because he didn't play the full season. But you know, overall, you know, if you're judging Altuve, had the same number of replacement runs that you know in our system at least because they had very similar playing time. And, and, and so, you know, on a, on a, on a, if you're comparing players for um, MVP type things, single season things, I think it's completely fine to look at when, especially full players. If you're comparing players who are full-time players, it's reasonable to, uh, to use a wins above average instead of wins above replacement. Uh, You know, and, and I, just follow up the not to dominate conversation here, but you know, if you look at, you know, a guy like Omar Vizquel, who I've been discussing calmly on online, uh, his hall of fame candidacy the last week, I, uh, you know, he, he's somebody who, if we were just doing wins above average would show up, I think with like five wins above average or something like that. But the fact he was consistent over his entire career and play, you know, very consistent former year in year out, he ends up with, I think around 45 war, Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, that it's a way of, 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 uh, quantifying the value of playing day in, day out as well. Yeah. Well, what Sean was just saying was that, you know, there's one of the main, one of the great benefits of not using average above average is handling playing time <laughs> differences yeah. and, and accumulated value and, right. um, and also noting some of the commonalities in how, you know, baseball reference and fan graphs do it. Hey Rob, you, this might be a good time to point out that, that you know, we're the ones who are the, who are the, the uh, black sheep, and maybe Greg too. Actually, I don't know how you guys do re- uh, replace them all with open war, Greg. So maybe would you, would you like me to explain it, Harry? You can try. All right, so we've we have a, a we have a totally different way of going about this. Um, what we do is we try to define a a. Well, we wanted to estimate what replacement level was. So what we tried to do is define a pool of players who are considered to be replacement level. And so we did some, we, we sort of made some decisions. There's, um, there's 30 major league teams and they carry 25 players on an active roster before they expand the rosters. 
So we said there's about 70, 750 active major league players, and we said that there's about 390 position players and 360 uh, pitchers who are like major league caliber, and we consider everyone else to be in this pool of replacement players. So we're using those players to estimate what a replacement type player is, because those are really the guys who are they're like they're 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 above AAA players. They're in the major leagues, but they're not quite getting playing time. Um, or they're not getting regular playing time anyway. So we have this pool of players that we're using uh, to estimate what a replacement level player is. And we're just taking the average of this pool. But then what we do is we assign a shadow to each player. So we take take each player's um, number of plate appearances they had, the number of times they were on base, the number of fielding uh, instances, the number of, of pitches if they were a pitcher, and we say, what would this, what would a replacement level player have done in all of these different settings? And then we add up what a replacement level player, what our definition of a replacement player would have done if they had been given the exact same number of plate appearances, the exact same number of fielding opportunities. And that's actually acting as a, a shadow for each player. And so then we have, we have the, the runs above average for each player. And then we have the replacement level, who's the sh- which is the shadow for that player. And we take the difference between those two numbers, and that's how we get uh, runs above replacement. And then we convert that to wins above, wins above replacement. And that's for open war, right? Roughly speaking, that's a lot what we do at BP still, where the replacement level is the, represents the point in the talent distribution where the number of players avail- available exceeds the amount of playing time available. It's slightly different than the. I'm sure the process is totally different than what Greg describes for open war, but it comes out kind of similar, and it varies year to year because of that. Right, so I guess right. one, one question I would ask about that is, what do we do with teams like the Dodgers, who are basically carrying 35 active players and just shuffling them? Well, it's taken on a league-wide basis, at least for BP. Well, right, but I'm saying like now that we have, you know, teams basically have seven or eight man rotations, and they're just making up injuries. Are we categorizing guys who are kind of in that uh, pool of end-of-roster players, who, but they're clearly above replacement level, like a Brandon McCarthy or someone like that, who exist in the major leagues, have value, or paid like they're above replacement level players, but are now getting playing time on what looks like it might have been replacement level uh, allocation five years ago before teams were like, 10-day DL, let's make up arm problems. Yeah, so one of our one of the problems with this definition is that you're going to get people, you're going to get players who end up in this replacement level pool based on our definition of it, who maybe they just weren't getting playing time because they were they were injured or something when they're clearly not replacement level players. Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of improvements that could be made here for how you define this pool of players. Um, but we like we really like this this concept of let's define what the group of players is who's replacement level. And then, and then estimate based on that pool of players. So, so even if you have Brandon McCarthy, he's not your shadow. He's part of the composite. The shadow is a composite, right? Yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. So it's not like you're you're going to put some like you know decent pitcher mistakenly into that, and then say, oh wow, this guy really sucks because he didn't outpitch an average major league pitcher, which would be an unjust. I would point out that for a long time, the opposite of that problem has sort of existed where teams will give playing time to an inferior player, usually because they're young and need development time. 
This is the point where Rob and I talk about our Cubs fandom and <laughs> Perez and how we'll never really recover from that. They <laughs> tell you about the times that Joe Mather batted third and played center field for the Cubs. <clears throat> but yeah, that's a that's interesting. That's a good point. That maybe the way that teams are shuffling their their roster is going to change what's who's in that pool. Yeah. yeah, but and I mean what Sean said about having guys stuck at AAA. Some of those guys at AAA are probably better than you know people on the major league roster, but. They're viewed as having no future, labeled as quadruple A, and you know, pretty much they're just sitting around as insurance if somebody goes down. And yeah, they, they end up in the replacement pool, but you know, they're better than so that's an interesting question. I never really thought about like what is actually we always think about a replacement player. Like like this, you know, hypothetical, you know, but really what we're what we're all I think teasing out here is that it's a distribution of Definitely. players. And some of those guys are major league talent. Yeah. And some, but is it equal on the other end? So, I mean, I think the risk that that I'm thinking is that we're going to, it's going to be biased towards major league talent because you're going to over sample those guys more than you're going to miss guys who suck, who are in the minors who didn't get in, who would have, I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like it's going to, if there's there's going to be a sampling bias that you might not get the actual distribution. I wonder if there's a way to create the pool in open war. Like, I like the idea, but I wonder if you could just put in some kind of filter for, like, waiver claims. Like, the guys who get claimed 17 times on waivers in the offseason. That's like, yeah, basically the definition, right? Like, oh, congratulations, Adam Rosales. You yes. are the <laughs> most replacement possible. Let's find all the guys who got DFA'd at least five times in six months, and you're a replacement level. My, well, your, my replacement level is defined for 2018 season as Micah Johnson. Okay. <laughs> well, next here's business. <laughs> okay. I was going to say you could also look at minor, minor league free agents. You could look at um, you know th- those are guys who are freely available every off season and uh, you know are 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 at the level where they would presumably be about ready. They're at an advanced age, about ready to step into the major leagues. Um, you know, those are the, kind. and I'd also point out that, you know, we have 750 player, 750 roster spots. I believe this, I'm making this number up, but I, I think it's like 1300 players play in the major leagues each season. So it's, there's a huge universe of players who, you know, outside of that 750 who actually do play in the major leagues and, and have some performance numbers that we, that we can look at as well. I think, I think 754 guys, including position players pitched in the, in the majors this year. Okay. So right. that's, so that's probably about that's, the same on the other side too. So, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. A, I mean, and that's, and that's just that's, the Seattle Mariners. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I want to say that the, one of the, the beauty of open war is that, if you want to, if you don't like our definition of replacement players, you can download all the source code and keep everything else that you want, and and just change that one little piece, and you can change the definition of replacement players and get open war with you know your definition of replacement level, and that's totally fine. Well, that's what we want people to do is to to play around with this and see if they have better suggestions. You know, get a get a a conversation started and and have people actually you know have a community develop what what war actually is. I mean, I would I would also point out that. We're- replacement level is to some degree, I mean, it's applied to every player equally, you know, based on their playing time. So to some degree, no matter where you set it, it's just a matter of scaling of your, of your number. And, and so it's, it's depending on how you, I mean, it may become more relevant if you're, how you're looking at it historically, if there's, you know, if you feel like there's a much great, there's a big difference between how 1950s rosters were structured and, you know, 2010s rosters were structured 
you know, that you might see more of an impact, you know, little, you know, tweaking the, uh, the, the knobs on, on, on your replacement level measurements, but, but within a season, it's really, it, it's, it's to some degree, not, it, it, it just, it's just a matter of setting the scale, uh, as to where you set the replacement level. So it's a little different with the other, but it's not, not necessarily as kind of Greg pointed out where you can, it, is, so, it can be tuned a different yeah. way. So there's, but if you change it in open war, when you just move again, you know, you'd essentially, you could maybe add half a war, half a wind to everybody or remove half a wind from everybody. If you just change the replacement level, it it's will, not like you're changing the ordering of the players necessarily, unless, it, you know, unless there's a, a, they have disparate playing times. No, it will. So the way it's actually defined is, um, we're, we're actually defining like what a replace. So it's not just a shifting. There could, there could be swapping of, uh, of ranks, when you change the definition of replacement players, because we're defining the shadow level player. And if a shadow, if, if a player is playing right field versus left field, they're going to have a different shadow player. And so like, uh, there's, there's a shadow, there's a shadow hitter. There's a shadow base runner. There's a shadow pitcher and there's a shadow catcher, a shadow right fielder. And depending on how those are all, all those change, you could actually get a changing in the order. Okay. So if you change, okay. So if I go in and tweak it with like, okay, I'm going to make the shadow right fielder, Larry Walker, and I'm going to make the shadow left fielder uh, Alfonso Soriano. I, I'm going to change the rankings of the players I already have in those two positions because of that. Yeah, it, it's not going to change. It's not going to change the rankings like enormously, but it, there will be changes in the rankings. So there's something that's more awesome. That's kind of okay. So now this uh, th this is a graceful segue. Uh, mm -hmm. this, this is gets us towards positional adjustments a little bit here, because one of the things that's also a very important part of all this process of, of establishing a player's, uh, runs and wins above replacement or above average or above worst above NAFI, uh, you also have the, what, where do they play on the field part of it? And this is one that I think is particularly interesting. Um, Matt Winkleman, who many of you guys probably follow on Twitter, is a really good cover coverer of Philly's prospects and an all-around smart dude. Uh, and uh, Russell Carlton actually wrote about this. So I imagine some of you guys have also probably written about this topic recently as well. Um, you know, wouldn't be surprised, Soren. So how we assign a value to what position you play is a big part of this, which is the... If I, hit, if I hit 220 with 10 home runs and I'm playing first base, that's one thing. But if I'm doing it at shortstop, and even I'm just an average defender at either position, I'm much more valuable doing that as a shortstop. And there's, uh, you know, I, I wonder if anyone wants to start on how they do it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, but basically, I, I wonder how similar the ways we, the four different systems we're talking about here today do it, but also... Are we doing it right? Which is kind of the question, because as I think we talk through the methodologies, I think we'll kind of be able to reveal some of the flaws and and things that have uh, Matt and Russell and others have pointed out recently. Well, so no, Fangrass, we uh, basically used the model that Tango came up with 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Uh, it's, it's a fairly old construct where uh, you basically just look at the um, defensive metric, whether it's UZR, DRS, total zone, whatever, whatever you have. Um, and look at guys who played multiple positions uh, or or moved between positions uh, within the same year. You get a large enough pool of those guys. You look at, okay, this guy played center field and left field. How much better was his ranking relative to the average left fielder than it was ranking relative to the average center fielder? Um, and I believe his, his, you know, 
did that over a multi-year sample. This was probably when he was writing the book, so what, 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. Um, and basically came up with a scale that looks very similar to Bill James's Defensive Spectrum that was published 30 years ago, 40 years ago, um, that basically says center fielders are better than left and right fielders by about five runs. Shortstops are about five runs better than second and third basemen. Uh, second baseman and third baseman are about five runs better than first baseman. And then the guys with DH can't play first base, so they're worse than them. And basically just came up with a uh, rough scale that was uh, certainly not the most rigorous uh uh, calculation, but uh, in general lines up with, I think, what most people understand about the game. Um, now, whether that the game has changed enough with shifting and kind of uh, the player population and, and who plays where, I think there's a really good argument that the the positional rank, the positional adjustments, the specific numbers we use are probably a bit out of date, uh, especially at second base. It feels like the new thing is just stick Daniel Murphy at second base and you're fine. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if the, the defensive Differences now in 2017, 2018 are not the same as they were when Tango came up with them in 2003 or whenever he developed his system. I wonder how different they are. It's kind of a, it's like, yeah, they're probably different, but... The magnitude is the challenging part. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, sure. All right, so anyone else here do it differently? Anyone? anyone? Uh, I mean, at, at Baseball Reference, it's kind of a similar... We, we have, I would say, a similar setup. We accept substitute Sean Smith in for Tango, and and it's, you know, it's, a, it's about, about the same process. I mean, we... we you know, and I, I'm sure Tango did it historically as well. Um, so, I mean, we, you know, those numbers are changing as you're going backwards. Uh, you know, first base, third base were much more defensive, uh, you know, when bunting was every other at bat. Um, so, you know, so, so we, we do have some adjustments in there, but re, as of recent years, we're basically uh, rolling forward what we, what we used previously. I mean, we, every off season, we, we've set a project of, of trying to, uh, you know, both this and replacement level, trying to kind of pin down a little more theoretically where we want to set those numbers. Um, and, it, you know, we just haven't, haven't been able to, to carve out exactly, exactly how, how we would do that and, 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 uh, you know, kind of, kind of work through the entire process and, and, and get that done. I mean, I think the, the other way, so Dave mentioned what Tango did, which was compare uh, players at multiple positions. I mean, you can also look at the, the splits, the hitting splits at those positions and, and get a grasp as well. I think Jeff Zimmerman maybe uh, did some of that, um, you know, looking at how different positions hit differently and, 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 uh, and things like that. Yeah, so, the, uh, how much you know, of an that, offensive hit are you willing to take tells you how much the defense is worth. We take... Um, right, exactly. <laughs> At BP, we recalibrate those on the fly. So, part of the in season every day, the individual position adjustments, and that's where, you know, I I sent out a a pre call information thing to an answer to Dave's question, but you know the truth is for the replacement level that's taken care of in the positions as part of the nightly BS as part of the nightly processing at, at BP. So. It's it's slightly different. It probably ends up working out a lot the same. And like you say, it looks a lot like the defensive spectrum that Bill James came up with 30 years ago. So oh, I will note one point about the offensive versus defensive uh, position adjustment. I actually think it was a pretty big step forward um, for baseball analysis at the time to move away from offensive positional adjustments. Um, I know I've had arguments with Chris Dial 20 years ago. He still likes offensive position adjustments. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, as Tango's pointed out, there are years where, like, the center fielder out hits the right fielder. 
Yeah. And, you know, you just happen to have Mike Trout and, you know, all these guys who come up and center fielders are awesome right now. And if we use the offensive difference, we end up with the conclusion that right fielders are better defensively than center fielders, which is clearly wrong. <laughs> and so I think you have to be careful when you're using an offensive baseline to decide to find defensive position because teams are not making decisions on who plays where based on how well they hit. You can use it as an OK proxy at times. But there are just awesome fielders who are also awesome hitters, and sometimes first base sucks, like it did a couple of years ago, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, first baseman must have gotten better defensively. It's like, no, all the first base prospects busted. So so I think that leads into, uh, so the the idea that you don't like, or, or a lot of people don't like the um, position adjustment on the offensive side of, of calculating war leads me nicely into how we, we have a positional adjustment for the offensive side of war. Uh, in open war. Um, what, what we found was that um, if you don't control for position on the offensive side, um, pitchers are so under our framework, the pitchers were so bad that they ended up being essentially worthless. And that's not, that's not right. Um, and so we, we have a positional adjustment on the offensive side. Um, and then on the defensive side, you, you we didn't we don't explicitly define it, but you get a a bonus for playing shortstop because you have so many opportunities to um, earn these pieces of runs in those positions like center field and shortstop. Uh, so we do adjust on the offensive side, which is one of the uh, I would say one of the big criticisms of our our framework is that we do adjust for it on the offensive side. People don't like that. I mean, what do you do when you have center fielders out hitting first baseman? Um. Uh, we just we just live with it. <laughs> okay. Well, so what, what do you what do you mean? It's so like if the league average center fielder has a seven sixty OPS and the league average first baseman has a seven fifty <laughs> OPS, are you then declaring that the, the the first baseman are better defensively than center fielders? Uh, no, no, no. So we're not. It's we're adjusting on the offensive side uh, for positional adjustment. So right. you're you're think- you're scaling their offense offensive value based on the position they play separate from yes. their defensive value is that what you're saying yes yes so position adjustment comes out in your offense adjustment and simply the value you you give to the mere opportunity yes okay that's interesting that's yeah, so, I, so people I hate guess, it. I, so just to follow, <laughs> well, to follow up on that, I mean, you have, so you, you mentioned the shadow fielder. I, I guess I kind of was wondering if, if you were leading to there, the position adjustment was then in your shadow fielder uh, that you had, because if you're setting a replacement level based on the fielder, it almost seemed like that's where your position adjustment was going to show up. But, but that, that's, that's a whole different other matter. Well, there, there will be that positional adjustment from, uh, the, in the replacement calculation, there will be a piece of that in the replacement calculation. Um, but, but I, I think on the offensive, you need to, you, you can't compare a pitcher offensively to a first baseman. I, I don't think it makes any sense to do that. Right. Right. I, uh, I, so I mean, your offensive so... value as a pitcher above a replacement player is above. So Madison Bumgarner's replacement you know, shadow hitter is not uh, well. It might be Eric Hosmer. Uh-huh. <laughs> it would be intended to be somebody uh, not uh, of that ilk, I would think. Um, I see. 
So it's more of like an, it, I, I mean, it's I, I, more of like an intrinsic thing, the, the position adjustments, it sounds like to me, where it's not like a, here is a factor that we've calculated for this player or people at this position, you know, that we then divide by your playing time. Uh, but you're basically, it's baked in at a couple different players as opposed to some discrete piece that you can just show. In a right. Deal. There's not, there's not like the, I believe there's other systems where they will just add a constant for someone who is a certain position. Is that, is that true? Yeah. That's basically what we do. Yeah. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're basically dividing playing time by, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a weighted constant, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a constant, yeah. but yeah, it's like a weighted value based I, on constants for each position. So it's something that like, I think Sean, you guys actually show, I think I don't the the adjustment value. It's like we show VORP and then we show yeah. warp, but we don't actually show like the pieces in between. I think we we do. Some. We've we've got a positional column on our value. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Uh, I mean, pitchers are actually an interesting question. I I mean the way the way we handle pitchers at Baseball References, we essentially say their their batting war should just sum up to zero because there's no there there's um, they're not selected for any batting ability and any, anything they do is, is essentially gravy. So, so we, we, uh, we basically set the position, the position, uh, factor, uh, is basically set as, uh, the, uh, the, uh, additive inverse of their, of their batting runs. So, you know, if, if, if the pitchers are as a group minus 300 runs, then the total of the, of the position adjustment for pitchers will be plus 300 runs. So that you'll end up with 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 zero runs of uh, with 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 essentially zero war for those uh, for those pitchers. So I, show I mean, you the details, details details are on the site, <laughs> but I I I I'm, I'm doing this from memory. But the details are on the site. But basically, you know, if you add up all of the pitchers, their batting war it, it it sums up to zero. So a good you know Madison Bumgarner will get a big bonus, and John Lackey won't. Um, you know, for his overall war numbers, but, but overall they're not upsetting the system, uh, when, when you handle it that way. So the, one of the things I think we've kind of touched on, not just all the, um, different pieces of the puzzle, but the, you know, there's different ways to do them, but even in our own calculations, I think we should point out that basically what, you know, what we have our pitting our pitching, our hitting, our base running, our defense, we've got some, some various ways of having a positional adjustment included in all this. We have replacement level, various ways of including that in all this and all, all sorts of things. And there's all sorts of contextual adjustments made to your batting stats and in more or less your pitching stats, I think we're more obsessed about contextual adjustments than anyone else. But <laughs> for, so, um, but so there's all these things that we do. But uh, at how much error are we accumulating? I mean, this is something that when you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about MVP voting, but it's impossible not to because, frankly, that all that stuff was the impetus for us getting together tonight. But uh, the. How much of you know? Okay, you have these different three or four or more systems to look at publicly available. They're going to vary, right? Like Greg, what, who would you say the number one in war? O war was Charlie Blackmon. Okay, so he was third for us, I think, in offense and hitters, and I think, uh, I think Sean, you guys had him not in, even in the top ten, and I think barely in the top ten at Fangraphs. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah, so I mean, there's variance there. So, okay, so that's one thing. So. 
you know, and he's also was a dead heat with Joey Votto, basically. And within like a half a win or a win or so of uh, Stanton, I think. So a lot of you know, writers, people are voting on MVP who, who like to use war, uh, which, which is nice that they're using it and they're being discerning consumers because they say things like, if a guy's within one and one and a half wins of each other in one of the systems, I consider them the same. Yeah. Okay, so, and this is where... Well, I think someone who's been very quiet so far in our discussion tonight might want to talk a bit. But, you know, this is, I think, one of the things that we can we can show people. What is the uncertainty and are, how much uncertainty are we accumulating across all these different measures that we have and, and how well can we measure uncertainty? So to kind of talk about what one of the future of things that we're going to do. Let's what, judge. You want to, Mr. Jonathan, judge, are you there still? Be awesome. Wake oh, up, yeah. Jonathan. <clears throat> yes. Dutifully having my uh, my salad here waiting for the uh, thing. <laughs> He's so, in a I'm hotel. Sorry. He's in traveling. Something is something's never changed. So uh, yeah, no, actually, yeah. the, the well, thing is that of course. <laughs> you know, what kind of salad are you having? Um, it, it was a chicken Caesar. Super boring, just like me. So, uh, but you know, Greg and the Open War folks already do confidence intervals around their their war calculations so we we should all be you know major golf clap for that because that's good um and yeah exactly um so we we've just started thinking about it and we're probably going to start rolling some of them out um over the next you know week or two i think we're we're probably going to start with with catcher framing um which we are doing in part because we haven't updated it for a few years and also because people are always you know, it's one of those issues that I think people are sort of okay with and sort of never quite okay with. Um, and so we think being able to see intervals around, you know, Tyler Flowers versus, um, you know, uh, Austin Barnes versus, God help him now, Jonathan Lucroy, um, is incredibly helpful to visualize and understand things. And uh, our thinking, and I talked about this a little bit in in my column about all of this, this dust-up, was that I, I'm a little concerned about the the sort of precision that we post versus the precision that's really there, um, the difference between 6.1 and 6.3, um, things like that. Um, it's it's all well and good to, to have people carp at each other about how many significant digits you have and everything else. But right now, I feel like we, we mostly tend to sort of look at numbers and say, well, that seems pretty close to me. You know, which is fine, um, and I, I think that's kind of reasonable that none of us really sweat a difference of a half a win between players, especially over different systems that much, but it seems like it should be more explicit than that. And I'm particularly interested in how many people who are st- currently still skeptics um, or have some skepticism about, um, you know, sabermetric analysis, I'm curious how much more interested they would be or more accepting they would be if they were seeing intervals and people sort of next to each other um, in terms of the likelihood that there's really any overlap instead of saying, here's your number with your decimal point, trust us, uh, you know, we're smarter than you and this is what we think it ought to be, um, which I think is how a lot of them kind of perceive it. Um, and I'm just curious whether other people uh, feel the same way. We're, we're going to roll it out and give it a shot. As usual, I assume we'll be told by some people it's too much information and then we might take them away and then be told that we're no longer providing enough information. Um, but, um, you know, story of our lives and of Sean's for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, do people think that will actually help people will enjoy that or will it just be another shiny object that people will, um, look at 
four people will pronounce that they like, and then it'll be business as usual. I don't care what people want. They need confidence intervals. They need <laughs> error. Give them what they need. <laughs> All right. There's one vote. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean, as I, I, I hate to say this, but as a practical matter, I, 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 I guess I'm on the skeptical side as to whether it, how, I mean, I personally, I think that's, I think it's a great idea. I see, um, you know, I think it's it's useful to do. I, you know, I'll, I'll certainly look and see, you know, the implementation details and how 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 it's handled and that. And but I I I you know just from 17 years of feedback on 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 the site from thousands of users, I, I'm skeptical that it, that it's going to move the needle much in terms of people's comfort or lack of comfort. Uh, I I you know I think you know some people are going to say. I think the people who are skeptical are like are more likely to say, you know, this is even more useless because now I don't know what number to actually consider here. So I, I mean, I I hope that's not the case. I I think it's it's definitely worth an effort, and I'm but I um just just my experience with the uh, with the I, I suspect we have a more general. You know, I think Baseball Reference has a more general user audience than this than, is very true, yeah. than um and so we you know we get we get a lot more of the you know. I, I suspect 85% of our users are just looking up RBIs, you know, and, and, and run score and things like that. Oh, so I, man. So I, I, so I think, you know, I, I think for us, it would probably not, it, 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 it would be, it would be somewhat of a heavy lift, I think. So I, that's, you know, one of the reasons I think we're feeling like we can do it is also because we're about to overhaul all our stat pages. I mean, we did the editorial side. Sure. We actually started like ages ago with, with the, uh, you know, with the, with the stat pages and put that aside because maybe it was too hard or, you know, ownership wanted something else, one of the both. Um, so as we get back to that, it's like, okay, you know, now we can try and figure out how, how we can do these things and how we want to visualize data and how we want to start doing that. And that's a good point that we do have a different audience and we do have, we do meet different demands. Like we only had one person who complained regularly, this person, but when we, we took wins, like aren't shown like as a fun, as like a primary thing on a picture card. <laughs> And there was like one customer, like, and, and just there's like ten different like Rob emails going. The, the link's right there. <laughs> the link's right there. The, and we're not putting it back. But I, I mean, I can't imagine. Um, you know, like it, that's kind of says we do get a bit of a different audience. We are, we are, we have people who want probably want to see the error bar. So I think in a way, we, we'll try it out and see how it goes. <laughs> and if it goes well, you guys can do it too. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> We'll take the risks. And if it fails miserably, they can say, "What a I'll, dumb I'll idea!" Yeah, can you, I try to talk to you. I could try to talk them out of it. I really try to do good. You know? I should have known better. I would say one of my long-standing issues with composite stats like Warp is that there are very highly different error bars on each of the components. Namely, fielding is nowhere near as precise right. as, you know, say, batting sure. runs and. You know, to be able to add that on there somehow, you know, that's a little different than the point Jonathan's speaking to, but, you know, it, it would be one outcome of it is we'd probably be able to separate out and, and show that, you know, well, we think fielding is this and it adds, you know, like I see 8.4 runs for Stanton here, you know, but, you know, there's a lot bigger error bar on this. 
Yeah, and what the distribution of that error is. Exactly. Yeah. He might be near the ceiling, so there's more there's more down to it, perhaps. And I think that's some, you know, I agree though in terms of just getting this is definitely a know your audience thing, and we we, we hope we know our audience because we're going to try this, and if they if they scream it. It's but this is things like this. What Jonathan said before about it was actually about DRA runs. Like we had a whole table, like every like thing, like twenty five things that went into DRA, and people were literally complaining that this is just an overwhelming, useless thing. There's too much. So we stripped down to like what a handful or six things. It, like that day, <laughs> we started getting go. You know, this is not enough information to be useful. So. <laughs> And it was a very circular Venn diagram of people complaining. So oh, yeah. with yeah. this, like, is this a is this a presentation issue? Because I think it seems like everybody here is in agreement that there is error present and can be or should be disclosed or represented the best that we can. But I think maybe speaking to what Sean was talking about is like if you say somebody if you're, you know, like quoting a stat like you know, Aaron Judge is somewhere between nine and seven wins above replacement. Like that's a really squishy thing to, to, to talk about. <laughs> Whereas I think one of the things that I think we've talked about was just basically making it like an option. Like it's not a default right. unless you like customize your, your view or something, but you can kind of access that data. If, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes, well, I mean, that makes sense. But that, but at the same time, that's like, that's like story on top of story, which is, I think, a little confusing. Um, and I think, but like you said, I think that the the audience, um, some audience would love that, um, like for the rigor of it and for like the, you know, full analysis piece, like, uh, you know, a more um, statistical audience. But um, general public wise, I think that that seems really hard to to have an understanding of what that is partially because I think a lot of people don't totally understand speaking for myself and the people that I represent on this call and not people who are <laughs> designing these things. But, um, you know, if, if you said to me, Oh, the error bars are such and such. And, um, but this person's wins above replacement is four wins above replacement plus or minus something, you know, whatever that is that kind of makes sense, but it's also at the same time more confusing, it makes war more confusing, which I think people struggle to understand the guts of war anyway. So I don't know. Um, I definitely agree that it's a, a presentation and visualization challenge to say the least. So it's not something that'll, you know, fall into the regular user's lap in a way that they're going to digest immediately. Yeah, I don't think you add two columns to the uh, sortable. <laughs> may have I mean, been this, this may have been that. Those are the three, you know, sort by the one. Because in the end, like that could be really meaningless. I think it may be it's infor it's uh, it may be informational at a high level, like kind of like about war. It's like here's the distribution of you know where we think you know. So if if you're you know we don't have to show you error bars, just know that this is the error bar. Uh, you know, and since it's a counting stat, it's, you know, right. No, that makes sense. It's, yeah. So there's different ways to approach it, I think. But to Greg's I, point, it's like people should actually get exposed to it. And I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying, Kendall. It's like in, in a kind of an, in a, in the optimistic, altruistic, you know, way, there's a benefit to exposing people to statistical concepts through baseball. 
Like, so I guess one question not? I'll ask about this is maybe you'll explain it when they come out, but like, are you going to have asymmetric air bars? Like just thinking of like a Jason Hayward season before he got bad. Uh, one of Jason Hayward's good seasons, right? Where he's like a five win player. Most people, I think, tend to believe that the fielding runs metric for guys with really good ratings are more likely to be wrong by being over optimistic. Like if someone has a plus 25 UZR yeah. and no one ever says like that number's actually plus 40, everyone thinks it's actually plus 10. Like if you show the confidence interval on like a, a defensive superstars war, is it going to be like, it's going to be know, skewed. So it's going to be, like I, do think it will. I do think it will be, it would be, it, I think you will have the asymmetries. I, yeah. I would. And I think so, that's important to, yep. and that to me is like this, Plus or minus uh, a number is not how it, it's. This is kind of like the, I guess the point is like there's a distribution of outcomes here, and you know this guy's distribution. Yeah, it could have been higher, but he's already way up there, so it's more likely it could have been lower. Right. So you probably should, you know, see the guys who, for example, and also because the defensive measures probably also have more error in them to begin with. Right. You're probably going to see that hey, this guy gets a lot of his value from his defense. You know. In in a way, it starts to let people start to have at least an abstract sense of there's more certainty. You know, you're making decisions with dirty information all the time, but there's more certainty in parts of this than others. And here, you could, it's probably best just to say, here's the overall uncertainty. When people look at defense, they'll learn that, oh, that's where the uncertainty is coming from, et cetera. But let people understand that, you know, and for certain profile players like a Hayward where it's like, yeah, I wouldn't say his his zero point five war was as valuable as somebody else's zero point five war, right. um, because you know three point five it came from defense and it may actually only be two. So, I do share some of Sean's skepticism about how like the general public would respond to this, but I will say if you guys do end up showing that kind of asymmetry and say like this guy reached his eighty eighth percentile of you know possible war based on the skill set. Uh, and then you can see like a hitter is more at like the 50th percentile mark. That might actually be like a really interesting way to, you know, kind of show the different confidence amounts we have based on skill sets. And I think that could actually be a, a valuable tool for those of us who are nerdy enough to care about these things. Yeah. And like, like Jonathan said, we're going to start like with framing, you know, war so many things. It's like, let's start with something relatively simple that people seem to like to complain about that we're used to having people complain about and we haven't done anything new with recently. So let's, let's go with framing. Um, <laughs> so that, that that's going to be where we kind of try and you know, cut our teeth on this. So we'll see how it goes. And, and eventually the idea is like start doing to do it in warp. We have to do it with everything else. Right. So basically this is, you know, that's the end goal is to have everything in that type of condition. And hopefully by the time we get there, uh, we'll actually have a good way to show it. So, can, can you talk about how you're going to put these error bars around these statistics? Well, no. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan, yeah, Jonathan can tell you probably what he's doing so far. Why not? We have, we have, we have time. We can tack that on here. That's true. So <clears throat> these are going to be decided through a, through a bootstrap. Um, that is the thing that sort of makes the most sense, given the, the shape of the likelihood and the fact that the brute force approach um, – which we can now computationally do without too much trouble. And after you rerun all of our models like five or six times or seven times, the, the standard deviations don't budge anymore there. And so you do end up with a, unfortunately, somewhat pretty uh, Gaussian uh, uh, you know, intervals around everyone, but they are at least customized for each player, if that makes any sense. 
Um, so that's fundamentally what we're doing in terms of the code. You can you can look at it yourself and tell me what's wrong with it. It'd be great. So. No, Judge, that is the correct answer. Oh, awesome. Good. There you go. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, See? Professor. All right. Yeah. We're done. Thanks. It's a little, you can thank Brad Efron for that. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks, thank Brad. You, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, <laughs> well, thanks, everyone, for getting together. This was uh, a first for me to have all these same people, all these people together at the same time. So, yeah, it's really this cool. This was cool. So, Thanks, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. sticking with us um that was just a great discussion i think with um sean and dave and greg and jonathan and rob um we appreciate them all coming on and um i thought that was a really really cool opportunity to kind of get everybody in one room yeah i'm glad we did that and you know it was good to uh good to hear that, like you know a conversation about the differences between things and just, you know everybody's like yeah you can do it that way yeah, that's different that has shortcomings and it's that's pretty much like the beauty of what having multiple systems is i mean yeah. it gives people's uh you know it is it, it's not just you know we have a different pitching metric i think and we have a different defensive metric i think it, it is important for people to understand that there are differences and maybe you know you don't have to get down to the weeds maybe even as much as we even to the level we got to um but i think it's important to understand that you know there, there's a there's some theoretic theoretical bindings here there's there's this yeah. notion that you know why the how these things are done and you don't have to do it the same way but oh by the way they all kind of come out with similar similar results and and you, you know you may get some differences around the margins but for the most part you know it's like everybody comes like with positional adjustments it's probably everybody's kind of comes out you know, even though it's harder to actually see what the, how they do it inside Open War since it's a separate, it's not a separate piece. It's like pretty much everybody comes up with the same. It's not that different. Yeah. And that's actually healthy to have these different methodologies that arrive at similar answers. That tells you that you're that we're not crackpots. You know, that at least what we're doing is somewhat attached to reality. Yeah, in the realm of reasonability. I think one thing right. that I was, I was struck with. Um, kind of in light of the broader discussion was the civility and um, collegial nature of the discussion. And, um, you know, certainly, like you said, there's theoretical and ideological differences from every seat of the table, but um, obvious respect and um, curiosity from everybody, I think, um, in that discussion, we're all fans of the future. We're all fans yeah. of the future's work. Yeah, I thought know, that, that was really for a long time. It's kind of fun. I that that's that why I felt fun. like it was overdue. 
You know, yep. I mean, I've met Dave a few times. I've been in, in panel discussions with him, actually. So, uh, you know, uh, you know, seen him at Saber Seminar where he would come and do the closing and do like just great like closing discussion, like incredible candor and humor, like in his remarks. You know, just like a lot of his personality comes out when he's you know on his got a microphone in his hand. It's great. Right. Uh, but I never really talked with Sean. And then, you know, I've talked with Greg about Open War, of course, you know, but having all these folks, I'm like, I don't think these guys have, like, gotten together and talked about this, you know. Um, I, why haven't we? we? We all like we all like doing this. We're all, you know, we're all hobbyists in a way that turned professional. So that was fun. And hopefully it was, hopefully it was informative. I mean, that was really not, it wasn't just for the purposes of uh, us having a, a pleasant evening conversation with some chums. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully this was informative to the listeners and, and you learned something about just either war in general or, you know, some nuance that you were particularly curious about and really would encourage people to pick up, uh, look at, look for open war. We'll have the links, to all this stuff, at the show page and, yep. and, and do what Greg said, which is crack it open and do different things. That's the whole point, you know? And, uh, I, you know, we're going to open, there's going to be more and more code open source from BP. You know, there's, there's things that are products that, you know, we make money from that's kind of, you know, ownership doesn't really have the incentive to, but we do, they also feel incentive to open source and support the community in certain ways. And I think some of this, some of the stuff like the bootstrapping stuff for errors, uh, some of the stuff I've been working on recently for doing, do, doing uh, fake 3D plotting and things like that, it's, we should be giving that out. You know, so yeah. Hopefully, that's kind of, and hopefully, we can have more conversations like this with other stat makers, and because this was, uh, we didn't get to know anybody personally. We didn't have time for that, but this this was a. Uh, I, I I feel like I learned something. Yeah, for from, sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Like what like what we do at BP, for example. I just listen to Rob and say, "What do we do, Rob? You know, yeah. <laughs> how does that work?" <laughs> yeah, I've done that a lot. Hey, Rob. <laughs> What is this? Hey, Harry, what is yeah. this? Um, I'll ask Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Give me a second. Let me, let me ping Rob. Um, Wait, Rob's not here? Why couldn't I ask him? I'm just going to. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, kind of touching a little bit on the our kind of segment of what did I learn this week? Um, I definitely, uh, I did, I, I felt like I needed to do a lot more background research on this because there are, massive gaps in my understanding of what makes up war and what makes wars different and things like that. And so I, um, like all the way down to like getting a good understanding of linear weights, like that took a little bit of doing for me. And, um, and so I think for me, um, learning about war is what I learned about this week. Um, I was having a discussion with a buddy of mine and, um, you know, we were, it was kind of, I was kind of trying to walk him through, um, war as I understood it, just kind of like get my head around it, you know, like explaining it to somebody else, um, sometimes helps you understand what mm -hmm. you think you know better. And, uh, so yeah. I was trying to explain it to him and, and he's like, but isn't it, um, He's like, well, but it makes sense that it should add up to the number of wins for a team. And I'm like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but, you know, kind of like trying to apply, you know, totally put on my like super amateur analyst hat to, to have the discussion with him. So it was, it was cool. And I felt like 
um the that's a, that's fun stuff to think totally. about because like you're this it's, it's like this yeah what's the value of the player independently of how much value the team extracted from him you know is it just based on his performance you know is that you know what's that and that's what this is about i think and i think that's what yeah. sabermetrics tells us that it's like if you want to evaluate the player you separate from the team which is, I think, what Bill James taught us. Yet this is but Bill James saying otherwise is why we had this episode. Just everything is so strange and confusing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but that's kind of, I think, what I learned. My foray into learning R um, continues slowly. Um, but I have some, some kind of test. Um, I wouldn't call it a project, but I have kind of... Uh, like a, a small thing that I want to do. Like I know the, the project that I want to do. And so I'm going to try and, and do that. And, uh, kind and of you should look at the, uh, what Jonathan's error bar graphs that he's making in GG plot. So, uh, you cause you, cause you'll want to fix those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to make those look super awesome. You want to uh, make those not orange and pink and green, which is fine, but I, I don't think that goes with our rebranding. No, that's not on brand. Um, yeah. Did you learn anything this week, Harry? Um, I learned how to finally like lay out a three dimensional perspective in R and it wasn't really that complicated, but there's just, you know, so I always find the hard way to do things and then I get end up at the easy thing, but at least I have understanding. There you go. So we're developing, uh, these, these perspective view pit batters. eye view pitch charts for a book, which nobody's heard about yet. Uh, and also we're probably going to build them into some type of interactive app online, possibly most likely with shiny. So, uh, that's the type of stuff that we're kind of working on. So there a lot can, of look and feel stuff going on. I can attest. They are very cool. Um, so there you have yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that. Yeah, that's that. That's, um, that is probably about all we have for this week. Um, I think it's episode. Yeah. M- more than enough um, to uh, whet your appetite. Uh, we are on Twitter at stolen underscore signs, and we have an email address stolen underscore signs at baseballperspectus.com. And um, if you could and would write and review us on iTunes, that would be wonderful. And uh, it would be even more wonderful to um, get some feedback via Twitter or email or something. Um, if you like the show, if you, um, have some ideas, that would be great to hear from you. Goodbye baseball!